Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, um, I got I to I admit something to you this morning. I know some of you may not know this about me, but um, I do tend to get a little emotional sometimes. I never do that during a message or a sermon. I never cry. But um, I, I, have, I, I, I love real-life stories. When, when you hear the background of, of people's lives and maybe something they had to endure, maybe something that, that they went through, um, to overcome something. I just love those background stories, especially when they, you're watching a sporting event or you hear about a certain athlete and then you, you hear something about their personal life, something that they're enduring or overcoming. I just, I just love hearing those stories. And I, I heard a story not too long ago that I just thought was incredible. And it was a, a story of, of this uh, teenage boy, high school student named Emmanuel. And Emmanuel came from Africa, from the Congo with his family and moved into the city of, of Rochester. Now, many know that the, uh, living in Rochester and some of the school districts are, are very hard and, and, and rough, and Emmanuel just didn't want to go to school there, and he really wanted to go to the Charles Finney School, which is a Christian school in Penfield, uh, where my kids go, and my brother-in-law is the, the, the president there. And what, what, um, what Emmanuel did was, he, he was like that persistent widow. He called the school for three weeks in a row to see if they had any scholarships. And he was persi- He called and he called and he called and he called. And finally, after three weeks, towards the, at the beginning of the school year, um, a scholarship opened up and Emmanuel was able to go to school there. Now, this is the thing. I told you I'm not emotional. Here's the thing about Emmanuel. Comes from a difficult family background. Came from very poor background. But he knew that God wanted him to go there. And he was persistent. And he wouldn't give up. And this basically transformed Emmanuel's life by being able to go to the school and being surrounded with other Christians and have other Christian uh, teachers. And he was able to play soccer on the soccer team. And it basically changed his life. And here's the thing that I love about reading through the Word of God and, and what we're going to be doing over the next eight weeks is looking into the book of Mark and looking at how Jesus Christ changes lives. He, he's not just some figure in history that we think is neat or is a neat person or a prophet, but, but actually Jesus Christ that we're going to discover through the gospel of Mark is actually the son of God who is God, who, who came to have personal relationships with people. The, the last thing that I want for us to have is a dead, dry religious experience where we just go to church and we do our thing. And, and how many know that we can get caught in that rut of religiosity, where, where we get used to it and we get comfortable maybe with things. But, but I want you to know that, that a life with Jesus Christ is something that can be vibrant each and every day. And what we're going to look at is, as we go through the book of Mark, and we're going to go through, through just these amazing encounters that, that Jesus had with so many people and how, how lives were transformed because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I love about the book of Mark is it, it just reads really quick. I mean, when you read through the book of Mark, it's just, he goes, immediately Jesus went there and then immediately Jesus went there and immediately Jesus went there. It's just this rapid fire of commentary of what Jesus did. And, and, and I want to look at, at the person of Mark and kind of give us just a little bit of a foundation here as we, as we jump into the story and as we, we look at the first chapter of Mark. And, and I want to I look at Mark because Mark's gospel 
gospel um, is, is very important because um, for, for Mark himself, he was given these testimonies of what Jesus did. And so what Mark did was he, he literally wrote these things down. And we know that Mark is part of the gospels, uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and what Mark does is he tells us this is who Jesus is. And, 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 and what we see in the Gospels is we see these books that record for us the teachings and the life-changing encounters that Jesus had. And each of these books give us the account of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I like the Gospel of Mark because it's just fast-paced. And, and Mark speaks of Jesus not as someone who simply is a person of history, but, but someone that we can know and experience today. So who was Mark? Well, Mark was an associate of Peter, and he wrote down... All the things that Peter told him. We also know about Mark is that he traveled with Paul on his first missionary journey. And, and what I would do is I would encourage you for the series that we're, we're doing now uh, through the book of Mark. I would encourage you just to read it. Just go ahead and read through the book of Mark yourself. And then uh, you can be abreast of, of, of each week and the things that we talk about. So go ahead and, and, and just read it yourself. And I, I think... Uh, uh, you'll get so much out of it. And Mark's main emphasis is to tell the story of Jesus and the real life encounters that Jesus had with people. So I want, what I want to do is I want to jump right into it. We're going to look at Mark chapter one. And we're going to look at the first uh, uh, 13 verses of Mark. And I'm going to read out of the uh, NIV this morning, New International Version. And, and let's see what Mark says about this person of Jesus. Starting with verse one, it says, in the beginning... Of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare a way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching and baptizing of repentance and forgiveness of sin. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust with wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come a more powerful one than I, whose, whose thongs, whose sandals, that I am not even worthy of to stoop down and, and, down and untie. And I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and, and you who I'm well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He, he was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. Lord, just open up our eyes this morning just to see you and to see you through your word and keep our hearts attended. Let your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. Thank you for your word, God, and thank you for the study. Thank you, Lord, that um, your word is living and active. And so let it just touch our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Well, let me first say this. The first 13 verses are pivotal, and it's the foundation for everything that follows in the Gospel of Mark. Um, what I like about this first couple of verses is that Mark calls Jesus the Christ. 
which means anointed one. Now, Jesus Christ, Christ was not his last name. Okay, I just want you to know. It was that that's the title that was given to Jesus. In fact, Jesus, normally when you were uh, given a name, it was like Barden from Ontario, right? Um, Jesus from Nazareth. I mean, that's where you were from. It was your name, and then where you were from is where your identity was or what you identified with. But, but, but Mark calling Jesus the Christ meant this. Christ literally means anointed one. In the Hebrew, it means Messiah. There is no other. He is the Messiah that would come to rescue Israel. Mark goes on further by not even calling him the Christ, the anointed one. This was, this was the one that was separate unto God, that was going to come from God. He is the Messiah. But he goes on further to actually call him the son of God. And so this would go even beyond the common understanding of even Messiah. This claim would actually make Jesus God. And so Mark goes even further, just in case someone would miss it. He quotes Isaiah claiming the fulfillment of ancient prophecy written some 700 years earlier about the Messiah or the anointed one. And John the Baptist, he says, is the voice that that says, I am coming to prepare the way for the Lord. And he's saying, Jesus is the Lord. This would make Jesus Lord Almighty. Mark didn't want his readers to misunderstand anything about the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, in our day and age, in the world we live in today, there's so much misunderstanding about the person of Jesus. If we're going to understand who Jesus is, we have to understand what he says about himself, what the apostles said about Jesus. And as you read through the word of God, there is no other way to understand Jesus than this way, that he is Lord, that he is the anointed one, that only through Jesus Christ can we make our way to the Father, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through him. And so here's, here's his claim that Jesus is Lord Almighty. Jesus is the long-awaited anointed king who would be the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So the encounters that people had with Jesus was not just any other man, but with God himself. So Mark establishes this fact right at the beginning for those who would read his gospel and understand this from the very beginning that Jesus is Lord. And what we see at Jesus' baptism is the reality of the triune God, Jesus, the dove, the Holy Spirit, the Father's voice giving credence to the Son, one God eternally existent in three persons. Jesus is unique for this reason. He is God. That is why he's so unique. We believe that God in the flesh interacted with us, teaching and touching the lives of people. And so before Jesus starts his earthly ministry, we understand through the gospels and through the gospel of Mark that, that Jesus is tempted for 40 days in the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil himself. And this is the first encounter that I want to start with this morning. We're going to look at a bunch of encounters over the next couple of weeks of different encounters that, that Jesus had with certain people, whether it was religious people or, or individuals that didn't think they were worthy. We're going to see how Jesus changed their life. But this encounter is so important. And we may, you may be thinking to yourself, why are we starting with Satan? Why can't we just ease into this study of Mark? And here's the reason why I want to start with this study. This is vital for this reason. Jesus' first encounter with the devil uh, before he even starts his earthly ministry is vital for this reason. 
And I want you to understand something. That probably the the things that we're going to fight with the most in our life are going to be spiritual in nature. We have to understand that we live in a spiritual world. And this encounter that Jesus has as he goes into the desert to, to, to fast and to pray before he even starts his earthly ministry, he is now harassed by the enemy himself. And so we have to understand the reason uh, many things happen in our life and the reason why we are frustrated with things that, that, that we may not understand are spiritual in nature and we need to understand how to fight them the right way as believers in Jesus Christ. So let's understand something about the devil. The devil is under the authority of God. He's not some equal force with God. And this is important for us to understand this encounter because this encounter that Jesus had with the enemy is going to help you and I today to understand how to fight our battles the correct way. Because I believe for most of us, we are not fighting the right way. That we're losing the battle. That we're succumbing to the schemes of the enemy. And if we're not careful, these things can weigh on our lives and cause us to fall away from the living God who wants to live in us and give us power for living every single day. So Jesus' encounter with the devil shows that Jesus, Lord, also the greatest battle we will face in our life is spiritual in nature. And so what we have to understand, what lies behind the philosophies uh, of this world and temptations and the desire to satisfy the flesh is the enemy himself. He sets the bait, but it's our choice to resist and to flee. Paul gives us some greater insight here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where he says this, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of, of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. This is the reality of the world that we live in today. We need to open up our eyes, people, and realize we live in a spiritual world. And as spiritual people who, who are following Jesus Christ, we need to understand how to fight this uh, fight in the spiritual world the correct way. So Jesus understood that it, it wasn't a physical battle, but it was a spiritual one that, that he was going to fight and that the example that he was going to leave for us is vital for us to understand. So let's understand something here. Let, let's, let's see what the Bible says about the devil. First of all, I want us to all understand he is a real person. He's actually a fallen heavenly being. Jesus says that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the father of all lies, and he is a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. The encounter Jesus has with Satan is very, very vital and important for us to understand in our lives today. You see, what, what Satan desired to do uh, to, to Christ in his temptation was to have Jesus abuse his power and satisfy himself. Both in Matthew and in Luke, we see this very detailed description of this temptation that, that Jesus had in this encounter in the desert. And we know that after 40 days of fasting, Jesus was hungry. And the temptation to Jesus, first of all, was to turn stones into bread. And, and here are the details of this temptation. First, he said, hey, if, if, if you're really who you are, Satan said, then turn these stones into bread. Next thing he says, he tempted Jesus to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple, some 300 feet above the Kinron Valley floor. If, if you think that, 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 that 
that you are who you are, then God will save you. So, so throw yourself from the top of the pinnacle of the temple and God will save you. Satan tempted him that, that he would give all the kingdom of the world to him if he just worshipped him, wanting Jesus to shortcut the work on the cross. You see, here's the strategy that Satan uses. Here's the strategy behind what Satan does. And it's clearly seen in the encounter that he had with Jesus. And, and what he desires for us to do is he wants us to be self-absorbed within ourselves and in our lives. He wants us to be so self-absorbed with our lives and, our, and our, the things that we're going through is that we get caught up and we get nearsighted. That th these are the only things we see. And how many of us know, we all go through it, I, myself included. How many of us go through our day and we just get hassled and this thing happens and this thing happens and it just destroys our spirit. Can I get an amen? It, it just is, it's, it's like having a pebble in your shoe, right? And it just irritates you and it takes your mind off of God. That that's the way he works. And what he was trying to do with Christ is take his mind off his father to satisfy his own desires. And what happens in our day, and this happens, things happen. If anybody tells you that life should be fair, smack them. Okay, because life is not fair. It just isn't. And this is where we need to trust the Lord that things are going to happen. But, but he can use these things to distract us from our trust and dependency on the Lord that God is ultimately in control. And so what Satan does, he attempts to, to get Jesus to rely on himself, not on his father, to break that relationship of submission. In essence, in essence, Satan was telling Jesus, you don't need to trust God to supply your needs. You can basically do it yourself. And so what Satan was saying is, if you are the son of God, you shouldn't have to suffer. But Jesus refused to be tricked or bamboozled. He, he, he wouldn't use his sonship to make it easier for himself. He knew it would be out of step with the will of of the father. And this is how we are so easily lied to it. it, it, it once again, it's to be self-absorbed within ourselves. That's, that's the lie. Um, things that, that, that he will use to lie to us are things like this. You deserve this. You work hard. You deserve this. You, the, 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 this company is taking advantage of you. You've worked hard for them all these years. It's okay if you take this or do that or cut this corner. Look how hard you work. You know, it's only a lunch or a dinner. Your wife or husband will not care because they don't treat me that well anyways, right? It's these little, tiny, deceitful lies that we lie to ourselves. Satan baits the hook, right, and gets us to believe that we deserve it. Gets us to believe that we're actually entitled to it. Jesus, you're entitled to this because you're the son of God. You're entitled to this because you work hard. You're entitled to this because your spouse doesn't treat you right. You're entitled to this because, because you've worked all these years at this company. You're entitled to this to cheat under taxes because the, 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 the government doesn't handle our money well. Okay, am I getting close? Am I getting close? Am I anywhere near? Okay. See, are you with me? Okay, good. You're feeling me this morning. Good. You're with me. Okay. So here's, here's the strategy. The strategy, the strategy 
is just to twist the truth just enough to get us to bite. Now, I thought of this. It's, it's like when we're, um, we get a vaccination or we're inoculated. Um, we're given just a small portion of the infected agent. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's what happens. That's the way, that's the way vaccinations are real. Really? That's in my body? Yeah, that's what it is. And see, what Satan wants to do is this. He wants to give you just a little inoculation. Let me just give you a little inoculation. Let me, let me just twist the lie just a little bit to get you to believe that it's actually truth. Let me just twist it just a little bit. And so what Satan does is he tempts Jesus. And when you read through the word of God and you see the word temptation or trial, many times they're used interchangeably within the Bible. Uh, temptations can come at any time and any moment. And it's not a sin to be tempted because Jesus himself was tempted yet without sin. It's when we give into these temptations and we give into these lies uh, that we fall into sin. So here's what I want you to be aware of. The choice to give into that temptation, to give into that lie happens much earlier than when the temptation comes about. So let me explain something here. The reason why Jesus did not give into the lies of the enemy is because Jesus was prepared when he went into the wilderness. And the reason why I believe that many of us fall and we give into the temptation is because we're not prepared. We're not prepared. So when that thing comes, our minds are not set on the word of God. We're not prepared spiritually. So when we look at that lie, because it's laced, it's inoculated with a little bit of truth, right? And so we end up giving in to that lie. It happens much earlier. And so when temptation makes itself available, then I succumb to it. So as you all know, I love to fish. Now, here's the thing about fishing. Um, fishing uh, is, is all about luring the, the fish to this bait, Right Now, if I just stick a hook by itself in the water, you're not going to catch many fish by just sticking a hook in there, right? Um, if you do that, I want to go fishing with you, okay? Um, save me a lot of time, a lot of effort of buying lures, okay? Um, the, the way you attract a fish is you bait the hook. Or the lure looks like bait in the water. The fish takes the bait and what's behind the bait. It's the hook. And that's what hooks the fish. So what Satan does is he baits the hook. Um, Satan tried to bait Jesus, but Jesus did not give into it. Why didn't Jesus give into it? The reason why Jesus didn't give into it is for the simple reason that Jesus was prepared. Jesus was prepared. And here's the thing for you and I. The encounter that Jesus had with Satan before he even went into his earthly ministry is so important for you and I to understand because I believe that every single one of us that are followers of Jesus Christ can be prepared to fight the battle of temptation or anything that the enemy would try to throw at us. We can be prepared and we can win. 
And we can win the victory over temptation in our lives. And it can't come through our own strength, or our own power. It has to come through the power of Jesus Christ. I love what Corey Ten Boone says here. She says, if the devil cannot make us bad, he's going to make us busy. So, he, so here's the problem. If, if he's not going to make you bad, he's going to make you real, real busy. And the busier we are, the less, the more desensitized we're going to become to spiritual things. And the more we're going to rely on ourselves and our own strength. And we wonder why our, our, our spiritual lives are weak and invalid is because we're just busy. We're busy, maybe not necessarily doing um, bad things, but maybe too busy to be doing the right things. And, and the right things are, are really feeding our spirit. And making sure we're feasting on the right things. So when that temptation comes during the day, when I'm weak, I'm prepared. Because I know that's going to come. Do you think Jesus was caught off guard? No. He was not caught off guard. Do you think like, oh my goodness, there's the devil. I never thought this was coming. Right? And many of us were like, like I didn't think this was going to happen in my life. Really? Really? People, we got to wake up. We live in a fallen world. Things are going to happen. It shouldn't catch us off guard as followers of Jesus Christ. We should know these things are going to come. And then you can just look at it and say, Ha! Devil! I knew you were coming, but I'm ready. I'm ready. And so Jesus was prepared. And so what did Jesus do to be prepared? What can we do in our lives to be prepared when temptation comes and things happen in our lives that are going to try to drag us away from the Lord, to depend on our own strength? What can we do in our life to be aware of the bait that Satan uses to try to catch us, to hook us, to turn away from God and his sustaining power? What are the things that that we can do? Well, Luke, I think, gives us some really good insight here. And Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Luke speaks about this encounter that Jesus also had, and he gives us a little bit more detail. And what I love about Luke 4, 1, it says this. Are you ready? Woo, this is good. Write this down if you're taking notes. Are you ready? Luke 4, 1, Luke 4, 1, Luke 4, 1 says this. And Jesus, full of what? Mm. Somebody say, mm. All right. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, what does this say about Jesus? When he went there, when he went into the wilderness, he, he, he submitted himself to take no food, to be alone with the Father, And you would think, oh, this is going to be such a nice time, just Jesus and the Father, and it's going to be so glorious. And I'm going to have my little devotional notepad with me. I'm going to bring my coffee mug maybe. It's just going to be a nice time alone with the Father, right? This was spiritual warfare. This was spiritual war. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was going to go in the wilderness. He was going to be tempted. He was full of the Holy Spirit, which means he was prepared before he ever went into battle. And it wasn't with a sword or weapons of this world. It was the weapons of God. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was prepared. And what happens is when he had this encounter with the enemy, 
It's the, the, the Luke tells us four different times in that chapter, Luke 4, 4, it says the way Jesus responded to the enemy was by saying this, it is written. Jesus knew the word of God. The word of God has power. This is his words. He says, it is written, devil. It is written in verse 4, 8. It is written in verse 4, 10. And verse 4, 12, it says, it is said. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is said. He basically defeated and disarmed any of the accusations or the twisting of God's word. He combated it with the Holy Spirit and by knowing the word of God correctly and not allowing the lies to be twisted. Because if you read that account, there's some truth that Satan throws in there. And if Jesus was full of himself and depending on himself and not the word of God and not his father, any of us in this place can easily succumb to the lies of the enemy. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit and know God's word. So here's, here's the issue. Here's what I love about God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is alive and powerful. Powerful. It's this Greek word dunamis, which means dynamite. Remember Jimmy on that one show? Dynamite, right? How many are old enough to actually remember that show? Okay, Jimmy. Okay, woo, we're going back to the 70s. Okay. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so this is where the power comes from, the Holy Spirit and the word of God. So here's, 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 here's why I think it's vital that we memorize scripture, that we're in the word of God and that we're praying and seeking the Lord. Here's the reason why. You may think that your um, personal time alone with the Lord, it's like, yeah, no one else sees this and I'm busy and should I really be doing this? Here's the reason why I think you need to be doing it. Because it's going to prepare you for your wilderness experience. You will be prepared. It won't catch you off guard. You will have the heart of God. Listen, you can bind and loose the devil all day long. And the Bible never tells us for us to speak to the devil directly. That's Jesus has conquered him. We are to seek the face of God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You, you, you can you, all the word gymnastics that you want to throw at the devil. He's laughing at that. Those are just words. The power comes from your personal relationship with God that you've developed in your secret place. I can't tell you that enough. That's where it comes. And here's the problem. I think many of us are fighting with the wrong weapons. And what begins to happen in our lives when we walk away from that personal alone time with Jesus Christ and developing our Bible study habits and praying alone with the Lord, when those things are minimized in our lives, what happens is when things come up and life comes up and we all have life, right? Every single one of us has a life. Every single one of us has trials that we're going through. When then those things come up, they overwhelm us because we're not prepared. 
And so what we end up doing is when we get into the midst of the battle, we don't know how to fight the right way because we've never prepared for the battle. And so I've got an illustration. I I hope this illustration makes sense to you guys. I thought about this when I was writing my sermon. It's like going into battle with a Nerf sword. This is actually a Nerf sword. And I I was thinking about this as I was writing my message, and I go, how many of us actually go into battle with this thing? Now, how many know if you're going into battle, you don't want a Nerf sword? This this may slap somebody silly, but that's about all it's going to do, right? And I think what happens is we, what we end up doing is our, our spiritual life or our prayers are nerf prayers. They're soft. They're ineffective. They're weak. Here's the reason why. The reason why is because when we get in the midst of the battle and we're not prepared, we get desperate. And we just start, we, we, right? We get frantic. And, and, and we may call their people, well, what should I do? What should I do? And we're all frantic and, 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 and we're not secure because we're not fighting. We're fighting we're, our prayers are nerf prayers. We're fighting with this thing and it, it's not doing anything. You see, the reason why Jesus won that battle, and it's interesting in Luke, he says, that when Satan left him, he left him for another opportune time. He, he wasn't going to leave him alone. He was coming back, and we all know that he came back. See, I want to be prepared for war. So when I go into battle, I don't want to nerf. I want a real sword, right? So when I go into battle, I want to go into battle. How many would rather take this into battle, thanks to Ethan Eliason, who loves uh, swords? <laughs> How many of you want a real sword? This thing is heavy. You don't want this dull, blunt thing that's not going to do anything. You want something that's sharper than any double-edged sword. See, Jesus was full of the Spirit, and knew the word of God. So for those of you here today, you may be saying, Pastor, listen, um, you know, my life, just it just feels ineffective. My spiritual life feels ineffective. My prayers feel like they're um, bouncing off the ceiling. Um, my, my life just seems overwhelming right now. Um, I, I just, is there something wrong with me? Is, is, is God disappointed with me? Listen, no. He's waiting for you. He's saying, listen, I've given you all the tools that you need. Now I'm asking you to prepare yourself. And so here's the thing that I would encourage you. Don't waste your alone time with God. It's in those secret times that nobody else sees that God is going to be sharpening you, preparing you, getting you ready so when, the, when life comes your way, not that it's going to hurt any less or that it's not going to be a struggle, but that you'll be prepared and you will know that the Lord is on your side. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a passage, I just want to end with this. 
Um, first of all, there's a, there's a great, if you want a good worship song just to download and just listen to this over and over again, um, it's by Chris Tomlin. It's called Whom Shall I Fear? And it talks about that the God of heavenly armies is always on my side. It's a great, hopefully, maybe we'll learn it for, for worship. Great song. If you want a good worship song to listen to over and over again, that song is a great worship song. Just a really good song. But it's interesting. There was a time in the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's found in, um, I love this passage. It's found in 2 Kings. And Elisha, um, the prophet, um, sees Israel and, and sees their waywardness. And, and, and what's happening is, is the Arameans are, are coming to, to make war with, with Israel. And they have chariots. I mean, they're surrounding the place. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. And, and they're looking physically at their army saying, man, they are much better than us. They're much more prepared for us. They, they've got chariots. They've got better you know, weapons than we do. And, and, and Elijah's servant is looking at Elijah the prophet saying, what are we going to do? And this is what Elijah says in 2 Kings chapter 6. Certain verse 16, it says, he says to his servant, let me, let me go, let me, let me, let me go back. Let me go to verse 15. It says, the servant of the man of God, Elijah, got up and went out early the next morning and an army with horses and chariots are surrounding the city. And he says, oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Then Elijah said, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, now. The servant's going, okay, what are you smoking, Elijah? What, I, I mean, look it. It's obvious. They're, more than, they're way more than us. What, what are you seeing? See, what Elijah did, he saw with spiritual eyes. And this is what he said in verse 17. Then Elijah prayed, O Lord, <clears throat> open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw that the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And as the enemy came down towards him, Elijah prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah asked. And the Lord won a great victory that day. You see, you may not see what's going on around your life but the Lord does. And I'll tell you what, we have a heavenly army that's on our side. And so when you feel weak and ineffective, you go to the one who is strong and effective, and that's the Lord our God. He's going to fight the battle for you. Some of you have been fighting the battle yourself, and that's why you're so worn out, because you've been doing it in your own Strength. Jesus has already won the victory for us. Now it's our job to depend on him, to be full of his spirit, to know his word, and to fight the right way. So when an issue comes up in your life and you're struggling with something, now what do you do? You say, Lord, you're in control of this. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my hope in you. 
I may not see what's going on, but you know what's going on. And I'm going to put my strength and my hope and my trust in you. Jesus Christ, who is God, who is Lord, I'm going to put my trust in you. And so here are the two things I want to leave you with. Get alone with God. Do everything you can to protect your private time with God and your prayer time alone with the Lord. And the second thing I would encourage you to do is know his word. Read God's word. Study it. Memorize the word of God. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hide it in your heart. Because when those times come, and they will, when that battle comes, you're going to know. You're going to say, man, I knew this was coming. Okay, now I'm ready, Lord. Because I know greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. I know there's more on my side than there is on the other side. So I'm going to trust you. I know who's coming, right? And that's where your peace can come from. Your peace will come from the Lord, knowing that he is in control. Amen? Let's stand this morning. I want to pray for you this morning. And, and listen, um, how, many, how many of you would say, Pastor, I, I need God's strength in my life right now. I, I just need his strength in my life right now. Not tomorrow. I know this was a great sermon. I, 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 you know, sometimes we just walk out and how many, like me, it's like you walk out and five minutes later, you just forget, you know, you just say, oh, that was nice. And we go about our day. How many of you right now just say, pastor, this isn't for tomorrow. This is for right now. I just need God's strength. I'm weary right now. And I just need God's help right now. I just need his help. God is here for you right now. He's here right now. Right now, he's here for you. So just put your trust in him. Put your trust in him. Lord Jesus, we need you. And we know the enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we know that our battle, so many times we look in the physical and we look with physical eyes, but just as we learned from Elisha, it's not the physical. We need to know that this battle is spiritual. And there are things going on in our lives that, that, that at, the, at the bottom of it, at the root of it, it's spiritual in nature and it can only be fixed through, through God intervening in that situation. I know there's some here today that have tried multiple doctors and have read books and have tried all this stuff. And I'm not saying necessarily those things are wrong. God, maybe it's a spiritual thing that needs to be broken in lives today. And I pray, God, that you would break any chains, any, anything that would hold us captive to our past, anything that the enemy is using to, to hold us down, to, 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 to speak words that would discourage us from knowing Christ, that would keep us from relying on our own strength. Lord, I pray that those chains would be broken today that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. 
and that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things become new. The past is gone. God, help us to trust in your promises that greater is he that's within me than anything that is in this world. Help us to realize, God, that nothing can separate us from your love, that you are for us and not against us. So Lord, help us to trust your promises. And I pray for everyone here today that is just needing your strength today, that is worn out, that, Lord, they would begin to fight the battle on their knees now. And that they would just, that alone time and that quiet time, God, that that would be the most precious thing to them. Thank you for the example that we have in Jesus, that he's been through everything that we've been through. He's been tempted in every way that we're tempted, yet without sin. He's a faithful high priest that we can run to and find strength and hope in our time of need. So may we continually run back to Christ and find our strength in him. Lord, I pray that you would just fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Lord, we know that that's the power we need to live our daily lives. And so thank you for your word. And I pray that you would strengthen every heart in this place today as we just depend on you. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus that even the words that he speaks, that he says, I want to give you peace, but in this world you'll have tribulations and trials and hardships, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thank you, Jesus, for overcoming all our battles for us. So let us trust you with them, knowing that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we just give you our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' precious name, we ask these things. In Jesus' precious name, we ask these things. Amen, 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 amen. Let's just give the Lord just a, just a wonderful praise for the word today. Amen. Listen, before I, I let you go off into the spring weather for the next couple days, amen? We'll take that for February. Um, if any of you need prayer today, um, our prayer partners will be up front. We'll pray with you at whatever you're going through today. So uh, just God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Go in God's grace, amen.